You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right, as you're being seated, if you'll turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation. You can have that ready when we get to it. We're not going to jump right into the text first thing, but we will uh, read from the book of Revelation this morning. Kind of looking back on where we were at as we wrapped up the book of Genesis, because, um, you know, as we were teaching through Genesis and I began to anticipate when we would finish Genesis and what we would do at the conclusion of Genesis, it became real clear that um, Revelation was the direction that I believed God wanted us to go as we connected the beginning with the end um, and really tried to see um, the, the connection between these two books. And I do believe there is a connection, um, and hopefully we'll see that as Revelation unfolds. But you'll remember as we wrapped up Genesis, we talked about the fact that the book of Genesis began with a man in a garden and then it ends with a man in a coffin, right? Like at the beginning of Genesis, you've got Adam and Eve enjoying paradise. God's created them to be in fellowship with him. He's going to be their great provider. We talked about him providing a job and a spouse and, and a purpose. And, and God had placed them in the garden, given them a place to live, and had given them responsibilities. And um, you have this, this perfect type setting that you're looking at. And enter the serpent, enter sin, um, and, and everything goes awry, and it's the death that ensues from that decision that, that we really see in the book of Genesis. As different people uh, come and go through the storyline, we see uh, each one of those individuals passing away and dying. Um, even the great heroes of the faith of the book of Genesis uh, lived out their life, and it came to an end, and that certainly was the case with Joseph. As we saw him, we buried him at the end of uh, Genesis, um, but the hope is that while the serpent's lie continued to affect mankind throughout the book of Genesis and throughout all of history up to this point, a visitation was promised, right? As as Jacob and Joseph are saying their goodbyes, there's this hope that's intertwined in those goodbyes that, that God is going to visit once again, that God is going to send the promised Messiah that they had been looking forward to. And Uh, We come out of Christmas season celebrating the first coming of Jesus. We look forward to the second coming of Jesus when when he completes some of the things that he initiated with his first coming. So themes in the book of Genesis, we talked about paradise lost, man's sin and inability to regain what he has lost. We're going to see paradise regained in the book of Genesis. We're going to see a glimpse into the future when all things are made right once again, when we are celebrating in the presence of Jesus, the tree of life once again, in our presence uh, as well. We saw number two, seed preservation, that while sin mounted, God maintained a remnant, right? As individuals chose sin, God continued to preserve a group of people that overall said no to sin. While they still had their flaws, there was a fearing of God and a desire to be obedient to him that defined their life. Seth, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, These are the individuals that God chose to preserve his seed. We're going to see that seed once again in the book of Revelation. We're going to see that God continues to maintain a remnant of people up to the day that Jesus comes back. We saw a lot of theology in the book of Genesis that God's all-powerful, he's all-present, he's all-knowing. We saw how his sovereignty works itself out through providence most of the time, meaning that God's in control of everything and the, the normal way that he shows that is through everyday life occurrences, right? That while there's miracles that take place, while there's clear times when God steps into creation, most of the time he directs history through everyday natural occurrences. Um, and he guides uh, people towards his ultimate will. So a lot of grace in the book of Genesis that when sin abounded, grace abounded all the more, right? Adam and Eve sinned. God doesn't kill them instantly. He allows them to continue to live. Cain, uh, there's grace even in the midst of his discipline. Uh, the flood, there's, there's grace that God preserves Noah and his family despite uh, the wickedness and the sin of that time. Even at Babel, when God confuses the languages of the people, we saw that God, uh, kind of speaking out loud, realized, hey, if man continues down this direction, nothing will be withheld from him. He's going to pursue all types of evil, all sources of evil. Nothing will stop him. And so God, in his grace, steps in and confuses their language to stop um, any further sin from taking place. And then even in the patriarchs' lives, as we see them living out and, and 
demonstrating faith, but then demonstrating lacks of faith at times, um, God shows grace and God shows forgiveness. And so grace is certainly a, a theme of the book of Genesis. We'll see that continue uh, in the book of Revelation as well. And then the Messiah is a point of emphasis in the book of Genesis, specifically in Genesis 3.15, where the hope of the one who would come to crush the serpent's head. Genesis 12.3, when, when God promises to Abraham that he will be a blessing to all nations. We get a glimpse into the future in the book of Revelation that shows people from all nations worshiping around the throne. And then in Genesis 49, the picture of the ultimate king, the ultimate ruler who was to come from the line of Judah. Uh, We see this in the book of Revelation, obviously, as Jesus returns to take hold of that throne. So for those of you that maybe have joined Sovereign Hope uh, within the last couple of years, I wanted to review real quick where we've been over the past few years from a teaching standpoint. Um, after we came out of First and Second Thessalonians, we went to the book of Jonah, and we talked about the, the responsibility we have to spread our faith. It's a, it's a missional-type book. Jonah is not uh, the type of missionary example that you want to follow. He shows a lot of hatred and a lot of uh, prejudice towards his people, but ultimately it's about spreading our faith. We then went to the book of Jude and talked about our responsibility to defend the faith. Uh, And then coming out of that book, we said, okay, we've talked about spreading the faith and defending the faith. What is the faith that we're supposed to be spreading and defending? And so we went to the book of Romans, and we went through Romans chapter by chapter. So we didn't, we deviated a little bit. We didn't go verse by verse. We went chapter by chapter. So we did a different chapter each week, and we talked about knowing that faith that we're supposed to spread and defend. And then the past two years now, we've been in the book of Genesis talking about the origins of the faith. And now we move into the book of Revelation, where we will talk about the future of our faith. Our summary sentence for this morning, and again, today we're using it as a, as a broad overview of the book of Revelation. Our summary sentence, Revelation is the glorious reveal of how God controls all of human history to accomplish his goal of the sacrificial lamb, triumphing over all of his enemies, in order to secure the eternal, eternal joy of his bride. For our kids, Revelation is all about how Jesus and the church win. It's the glorious reveal of how God controls all of human history, past, present, and future, how he's controlling everything to accomplish his goal, that Christ, the sacrificial land, triumphantly uh, overthrows his enemies in order to secure the eternal joy of his bride, the church. And we're going to see that theme unfold um, throughout our time in Revelation, however long it ends up being. We're going to come back to this fact over and over and over again, that despite some of the things that are confusing, despite some of the things that we're not sure about, despite some of the things that we may disagree about, overall, we are focusing on how God reveals that he is in control of all human history, that nothing uh, deviates from his control. Even when it looks like things are out of control from a righteous standpoint, even when it looks like sin is mounting and sin is winning, God remains in control. And that goal of the lamb overcoming his enemies will happen and the eternal joy of his bride will be secured. So there's great hope. There's great hope in the book of Revelation. Um, God rules history and will bring it to a triumphal climax in Christ. We've kind of dubbed this overall series, Revelation, the end of the beginning. And I want to clarify what we mean by that little tagline, the end of the beginning. We talked about um, Genesis and our tagline for Genesis was beginning with the end in mind, right? And so we, we were heavy at the beginning of Genesis about how God had created and he had created with the intent before the foundations of the world that Jesus would die in our place, right? That God didn't create and then we messed it up and then God had to redo everything. No, God before the foundations of the world, before he ever, before he ever spoke uh, creation into existence had planned for the lamb to come and for the lamb to triumph, all right? So we talked about beginning with the end in mind. God began everything with the end goal in mind the book of Revelation, what we see here, all right? Revelation now, the, the end of the beginning. And what we mean by that is, one, what we've experienced up to this point and even adding on the future until Jesus comes back. 
all that, those years, all those decades, all those, those time frames, all of that is really just the beginning, right? Um, what we've experienced is only the beginning of what we have before us. So as long as human history seems, it's really just the beginning of what God has in store. In fact, we could say that what's in store for us will ultimately supersede everything previously. It's the end of the beginning. Everything that we've experienced up to this point and even until Jesus comes back is really just the beginning of the unfolding of God's plan. He's securing a people for eternity. And what we will come to understand about God and and the the joy that we will experience with Christ, everything in the future is going to far supersede anything that we've experienced up to this point. And so it really is the end of the beginning. Revelation is the, the end of Scripture, but it's not the end. It's really the beginning as we move forward. It's the it's the it's the entrance point into what will be for all eternity. Term to know for you, and I went ahead and put everything there in your notes for our kids. Um, they can add this to their notes. Eschatology. You're gonna you're gonna hear this term thrown around a lot during our discussion in Revelation. I wanted us to give a, a a good starting point for what that term even means. Eschatology is a study of end things or last things of human history, leading up to the final judgment and the eternal state. So as we engage in this study of Revelation, we will naturally. Uh, study in type things, in things related to human history, in things related to the final judgment, in things related to our eternal state. All right? All right, don't forget, what I'm about to give you is super long. This is where me providing you the notes on our Google Drive, and if you don't have access to that, you can get a bulletin today. There's a nice little QR in the, um, on the back of the bulletin. You can clip, click that with your uh, cell phone, Download a QR reader. Um, it'll take you to our Google Drive. Um, I believe that's how it is in the bulletin, right? Yeah. Um, Google Drive folder where I dump all of these notes into that, and you can access them at any time so that you don't have to feel all the pressure of trying to write everything down. Because um, I'm going to give you a summary of the book of Revelation. This was our, the first thing I gave you was our summary sentence for today. Um, I'm going to summarize the book of Revelation and where we're going over the, the next few months and years, however long, it, end, however long it ends up being. And I want to read through it to you, so don't even try to copy this down. It's available for you. You can, you can get access to it later, okay? But I want us to, to focus on it as we read through it, okay? The summary of Revelation. There is an unseen spiritual war operating behind the scenes of history in which the church is engaged in a cosmic conflict occurring between God and his Christ and Satan and his forces, both demonic and human. All right, so Revelation gives us a glimpse into an other world type of experience where we get to see what's happening behind the scenes, right? This is a, this is a play that's on display, and then we get to see the inner workings behind the play. What, what, is, what is the driving force behind the events that we see in history? There's an unseen spiritual war operating behind the scenes of history. And the church is engaged in that conflict. And it's a, it's a conflict between God and Jesus. And, and so, so in, in talking about the Trinity as a whole and Satan and his forces, both his demonic forces and his human forces. And this war, the events and the outcome of this war is controlled by God. Okay, so lest we think that God and Satan are equal rivals, that's not the case, right? So they're at war and that's the picture we see in Revelation, but it's not a war of equal parties, Um, This is a war that God is completely in control of at all times. He controls the events of the war. He controls the outcome of the war. And it echoes the prophecy of Genesis 3.15, where we've just come from, whereby God is creating enmity between Satan's seed and his. You'll remember Genesis 3.15, God promises. Remember, Satan thinks he's won a a victory here. He He has caused creation uh, man's uh, or God's crowning achievement of creation, man and woman, he has caused them to react in disobedience. Satan's not all-knowing. He doesn't know that God began with the end in mind. And so from Satan's perspective, these two guys are either about to die or about to be turned over to me forever, right? And so God begins to issue discipline. And in the, in the midst of that discipline, he communicates to Satan, this isn't how it's going to stay. I'm going to create division here. 
I'm going to rescue a portion of mankind back to me. There will be enmity that exists. And so Revelation is a picture of that enmity that has been created by God, whereby he is rescuing the church back to him. The great dragon who represents Satan in the book of Revelation, he assaults the church through persecution, false teaching, trials, and temptations. And he will appear victorious initially, but the certainty of Christ's triumph in the end is meant to warn and fortify the church so that she endures suffering and remains pure from the enticements of this world. So here's the, here's the, here's the battle for us. It's we have to maintain a perspective that Jesus wins in the end because prior to that, there's gonna be times in history where it looks like Jesus is not winning. It will look like the world is winning. It will look like Satan is winning as he persecutes the church, as he taints the church with false teaching. Many people will say, you know what? The church isn't for me. The church isn't for me. It's full of hypocrisy. It's full of false teachings. You don't know what's right. You don't know what's wrong. Um, There's so much wrong with the church. I'm gonna leave the church. I'm gonna abandon the church. I'm gonna walk away from the church. I don't see this as a good investment for my family or for me, right? Like I'm assessing it and it looks like the church is losing. It looks like the world is winning and there will be many that will side with the world. So the, the battle for us as Christians is that as Satan assaults the church, persecution, right? That, 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 that's something that maybe we haven't experienced here in this country as some of our brothers and sisters have around the world, but we have certainly dealt with our, our issues of false teaching, right? The dragon may be assaulting the church in two different ways right now on two different sides of the globe, one with persecution and one with heavy false teaching, um, trials and temptations. And at times he will look victorious, But as Christians, we have to see the end. We have to see that Christ does win. And for our our kids, for our teenagers, there will be the temptation to walk away from the faith at some point. For us as parents, we have to instill in them something more than moralistic ideals for why we go to church, right? It's not so we can just simply be good people. Us coming to church regularly and gathering with other believers is a declaration that we believe in the end, the church is what remains, right? That the fellowship we enjoy with, with people right here, it's the people that we're with forever. And so as we gather, it's a declaration that, hey, the church wins. The church wins in the end. And so as our kids and our teenagers grow up and leave Sovereign Hope, we want them to cling to this truth that when it looks like the church is losing, when it looks like the church may have may has become irrelevant, and they're hearing these messages that they cling to the church, they cling tightly to Christ's followers because they can't do it by themselves. And that we endure the suffering and we remain pure because we have a strong belief that Jesus does win in the end and he comes back for his church. That's kind of the summary of the book of Revelation that we'll be unpacking over the next, again, few weeks, months, years, however long we end up in this book, all right? Hey, and in and, and, and studying Revelation, um, we, we can take more of a laid-back approach. If at any point you have questions and you're confused, don't hesitate to stop and raise your, raise your hand, right? That's not normal for a Sunday morning sermon-type setting in most churches. We can approach this differently. We're small enough. If, you, if you're confused, if I'm using terms or language or operating from a foundation that you don't have, don't hesitate to raise your hand and say, hey, can you clarify that? Or, and if you even want to pose it as, hey, I know what you're talking about, but if somebody else maybe doesn't understand, let me ask this question. Um, However you want to pose it to get me to answer something that you're confused about, don't hesitate to stop me, okay? Um, Let's talk about three purposes for why we're studying the book of Revelation, okay? Why are are we studying this book? Why not go to something easier? If if it is so confusing, if it is going to take a lot of uh, laborious effort by me to understand it, to then pass it on to you on Sunday morning, there's plenty of other books that we haven't talked about in Scripture. Why not teach through one of those? Let's go to the book of Revelation chapter 1. Let's introduce this great book, and then let's talk about three purposes for why we are going to study it. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon 
take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Verse three, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. It shouldn't take much to to see the weight of why we would come to this book. That as John begins to write, he clearly identifies this is coming directly from Jesus. Directly from Jesus. And this is, so this is a little bit different than some of the other books that we've talked about. Right? The other books, we would say, hey, Holy Spirit comes upon the human authors, inspires their writings. This has a different bit of a feel to it because John says this comes directly from Jesus, right? Like God the Father gives this to God the Son who has then passed this on to us. So, so John's kind of removing any credit for pinning this book, right? Like this comes directly from Jesus. And look what it says. It says that, that it came through an angel to John who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. There's, there's unification there about Jesus' message and what we see in the rest of the word of God. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words. Blessed are those who hear. Right? So, so there's a double blessing here, right? Like, I'm going to receive blessing by studying this and then teaching it to you publicly. And then you're going to be the recipients of blessing as you hear it and come to a better understanding of it. Why? So that we can keep what is written in it for the time is near. Our first purpose for our study is to respond in obedience while reaping great fruit. This is something we do as an act of obedience. To study this book is to be obedient to the commands here. In Revelation 22, 7, the book closes with a similar message. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. There's an expectation that Christians are supposed to be obedient to the book of Revelation. And, and most of us would self-admit, I don't know a whole lot about the book of Revelation, which means it would be very hard to live up to an expectation of obedience to what it says if we're quite confused about what it means. And so there's great fruit that I believe can be picked from this study. And so I'm excited to, one, experience that myself in my own personal study and as I teach, but two, for you to reap the same benefits as you learn and hear and understand so that we together can live this out in obedience. Number two, we could just end with that being the purpose of the study, but I got two more reasons. Two, to understand better the glory of Jesus Christ as the triumphant lamb that wins the great war of human history for our kids to understand how great Jesus is. That's going to be our focus, right? I can tell you up front, we're going to talk far more about Jesus than we are about the anti-Jesus, right? Like there will be appropriate attention given to the man of lawlessness, the antichrist. But we're going to spend far more time discussing how great Jesus is as history comes to an end. Really, this book is to proclaim to us the glories of Jesus as that triumphant lamb and how he wins the great war of human history. And so that's going to be our focus as we work through this book is to uh, come to a deeper, greater appreciation for Jesus Christ. And then number three, to understand the purpose, hope, and encouragement needed to persevere through any present suffering, for our kids to understand how to stay encouraged. The doctrines of eschatology, that study of the end times, it's presented in Scripture as being a a tool, um, as being a resource for us to use to encourage ourselves and to encourage others, meaning we are supposed to understand the things that have been revealed to us about the end times so that we stay encouraged, so that we resist false teaching, so that we resist the enticements of the world, so that we stay pure. Romans chapter 15, verse four. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have 
hope. Right? Paul tells us that scriptures have been written, all the scriptures, including the book of Revelation, have been written so that we might have hope. First Thessalonians, as we were working through First Thessalonians, uh, we came to chapter 4, two verses here. Verse 13, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Paul says, I want you to understand about the future because as people die, I want you to grieve differently. I want you to have a type of hope that, that, that is different than a lost person's funeral. He says, I want you to have such a grasp of how things work in the future that you can be hopeful as you see the future unfolding. He also says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 18, after he talks about the return of Jesus, he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This is after he talks about the day of the Lord. After he talks about um, some of the things that will happen during the end times, he says, I want you to use this as an encouragement to each other, build each other up. And then in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. My hope is that as we come out of this study of Revelation, we are all equipped to encourage people within this church, people that come after our study in Revelation. Like, like that'll be unfortunate for somebody that shows up after we've studied the book of Revelation, right? They're gonna, they're gonna need to know the content of Revelation. And unless they have just a resolved will to sit down and listen to two years worth of podcasts, they're gonna need to be able to gather in small groups and accountability groups and be encouraged by the content of Revelation because it spews from your mouth, right? Like I'll be done speaking on it. We'll, we'll introduce it today, we'll close it at some point, and then we'll reference back to it time and time again. But you will be equipped, hopefully, the goal is for you to be equipped in such a way that you can encourage other people inside this church and outside this church with a solid theology of the end times so that you can encourage and give hope the way that Paul talks about us being able to do. Key themes of Revelation. Number one, and I just left you like a blank space to write some of this stuff down. Again, you're going to have to rely probably more. Some of you have never looked at our Google Drive and you've never even tried to access sermon notes. And this will be the time when you say, hey, you know what? That might be a helpful resource. Um, Because there's no way we can get all these notes down for you. Some weeks we will, some weeks we won't. This is one of those weeks where we just won't have space. Some key themes. Jesus conquers the great accuser and ransoms people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. That that theme is going to run through the book of Revelation that the great accuser, the dragon with his beast and the false prophet, kind of a, a counterfeit trinity, if you will. We've got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've got the great dragon, the great beast, and the false prophet. And Jesus will conquer them all. And in the midst of doing so, he will ransom people from every tribe, nation, and tongue, just as he promised Abraham back in Genesis. So that promise given to Abraham in Genesis that we've already studied gets fulfilled in the future fully. Abraham really is a blessing to all people because Jesus comes from the line of Abraham and he ransoms people from everywhere. That's a key theme of Revelation. Number two, Jesus remains with us through this present conflict. He remains with us through this present conflict. So so we get this picture that Jesus wins in the end, but then Revelation does give us this picture where it's it's not all rosy before that happens. There's going to be a lot of conflict, and there's going to be a lot of death, and there's going to be a lot of martyrs. There's going to be a lot of people who die for their faith. And the theme of Revelation tells us that Jesus is right there with us. He's not insensitive. He's very sensitive to the outworkings of, of Satan's plans and, and what Satan is doing. Jesus is with us in the midst of that conflict, and he remains with us, and he offers the hope and encouragement to persevere in that conflict. We'll see that theme running through Revelation. Number three, Jesus is the victorious lamb despite how the world may seem at the time. Since Jesus left 2,000 years ago to this point, there's been ups and downs in the history of the church. There's been times where the church has thrived. 
There's been times where the church has suffered. There's been times in our own country where the, where the church has been more effective than at other times. Jesus is always going to be the victorious lamb. He's already initiated that victory with his death and resurrection. And despite how the world may look at the time, Jesus is still winning. We're also going to see number four, that God is restraining his wrath and the efforts of his enemies while he gathers his full number of people. God is restraining his wrath and the efforts of his enemies while he gathers his full number of people. So so God could be very right to go ahead and demonstrate his wrath towards sinful man right now. But God says, because I'm long-suffering and because I don't desire that any should perish but that all should come to repentance, especially those that I've elected, he says, I'm gonna withhold my wrath to its fullest extent. And so we see wrath begin to get poured out in the book of Revelation. We see judgments start to occur, but it still leaves opportunity for repentance. It still leaves opportunity for salvation. So God restrains his wrath, and then he also doesn't allow Satan and his forces to to, uh, carry out their full efforts, right? Like he doesn't allow their their evil intent to come to fruition. He, He guards and protects them from doing everything that they would like to do. So God keeps himself back, says, I'm not going to do what I could do, and that's bring wrath now. He says, I'm also going to keep the enemies back. They're not going to be able to bring all the evil that they would like to bring. Why? Because there's still people that need to be saved. There's still people that I intend to save. There's still people that I will save. And so God holds himself back and Satan back so that these people can be ushered into the church. All right. Number five, the turmoil of creation War, drought, famine, disease, earthquakes, some of the things that we associate with the end times. As we see those things happening, they point to greater judgments that are coming. R.C. Sproul, I was reading something by him um, this week. He made a good point. He's like, you know, some of these things that are supposed to point to the end times, when have we ever not had these things, right? Like, when have we ever had a time where there was no war happening, there was no drought, there was no famine, no disease, no earthquakes? He's like, these things have always been happening. They just continue to intensify as we get closer and closer to the return of Jesus, right? So the turmoil of creation points to greater judgments that are coming. These are some of the things that God allows to come out as necessary punishment and judgment. Our, 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 our creation's not what it's supposed to be, right? And that's a result of sin. So why do we have earthquakes if God's a good God? Because of sin. Why do we have hurricanes and, and, and diseases? Because of sin, right? Creation isn't what it was supposed to be when it was first created. It's been altered by sin, and God is recreating that. All right, number six, and the kids don't have uh, notes on these next two, and then you get your number six in a minute. Number six for our adults, believers conquer and attain victory through their endurance and fidelity, which may lead to their death. Book of Revelation doesn't shy away from the fact that if you are a believer and you're trying to endure and you're trying to remain unstained from the world, it may kill you. You you may die for this. And the, the, the hope that's attached to that is that by dying, you actually earn the victory. By staying true to the end, you earn that crown of righteousness. You, 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 have, you, have, um, you have endured to the very end. Obviously, we know that that's through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not through our own efforts, right? But God uses the warnings. He uses the book of Revelation so that the Holy Spirit instills that in our minds and we do endure to the very end, all right? Believers conquer and attain victory through their endurance and fidelity, which may lead to their death. Number seven for our adults, number five for our kids. Things will most likely get worse as Satan's efforts will intensify, but Christ will defeat all his enemies in the end. Things will most likely get worse as Satan's efforts will intensify, but Christ will defeat all of his enemies in the end. For our kids, things might get worse, but Jesus still wins. We should expect things to get worse. We should expect uh, countries to deteriorate. We should expect... Um, the, the, the moral goodness of 
lost people to deteriorate, right? Like for the longest time in our in our culture, even um, there were things that lost people didn't want on TV, right? My sixth grade Bible teacher came to me today, or this week and he said, you're not going to believe the question that I got asked. I said, what was it? He said, a kid raised his hand and asked if blank was okay or not. And we were talking about the fact that like, I didn't even know what that word meant in sixth grade, right? Like, like, and, I, and I told him, I said, well, part of the reason is they hear that word all the time on TV shows and movies now. Like, it's just a common thing that gets talked about, whereas it was, it was a word that made, um, made uh, lost people blush when it was referenced, he said, I didn't know what to do with it. He's like, I was just completely caught off guard. Our, our culture has shifted and changed, um, and, and it may continue to do so. The, the, the moral nature of our, of our nation, of the world, the lost moral aspects, right? the law is still written on our hearts, even if we're not believers, right? They still have a knowledge of good and evil. That will continue to deteriorate. Jesus still wins in the end. Number eight and number six for our kids. Christ is coming soon. His people will enjoy everlasting peace in his presence. For our kids, when Jesus comes back, we will enjoy peace. So those are some of the, those are eight themes that we're going to see constantly through our study in the book of Revelation. Google Drive, that's where all the notes are. Next. Difficulties in understanding Revelation. We talked about this a little bit in our groups this morning. Why why is it confusing? Um, You may not realize these two points are why it makes it so confusing for people like me to teach it to people within the church. Number one is the date. And we, we don't even really talk about the date in any of the other books that we've, we've studied, right? Like, nobody cares when First and Second Thessalonians was written. Nobody cares when Jonah was written. Like, we, we may have mentioned it, but it certainly wasn't, I don't know that it ever made it on the slide presentation. The book of Revelation, it's crucial to, to know when it was written. Um or to at least know that it's an issue, because uh, the important date is AD 70. Was the book written before AD 70, or was it written after? And if you believe it was written after AD 70, you would most likely believe it was written around AD 96. The reason that's so important is because of what happened in AD 70. In AD 70, Rome sacked Jerusalem, the fall of Jerusalem. We don't talk about it much because it's not um, it's not laid out clearly in Scripture, right? Nobody writes about it. That's one argument for why Revelation is written prior to AD 70, because it's such a significant event in Israel's history, you would think that it would make it into Scripture. Why? Well, because it put an end to the temple, it put an end to sacrifices, it put an end to genealogies. Like, much of what made Israel Israel was torn away at AD 70, Right? Rome, Rome wipes it out, and there's no temple now. There's no sacrifices, right? If the book was written before AD 70, it opens the door for the belief system that a lot of revelation may have already happened. Um, that's not the background I was brought up in, right? Like I was brought up believing, left behind, everything's way into the future. And even when it starts to happen, you're still looking at a thousand plus years before it all wraps up, Right? There's really good people that believe that a lot of revelations already happen. And you say, well, how in the world can that be? Like, I read Revelation. That sounds like some intense, crazy stuff. And it would really fall back on us that we don't really understand how bad it was in AD 70 when Jerusalem fell. And when Nero was persecuting the church, maybe like it's never experienced previously, that he was known to dress up like a beast and wear uh, animal clothing and, and terrorize people because he was losing his mind it would fall right in with a lot of what you read about Revelation, potentially. Um, and, and some of the markings that you had to get to buy and sell and trade within the, the empire, a lot of it potentially has happened if it was written before AD 70. Now, obviously, not all of it has happened. Jesus hasn't come back, and Satan still um, is not, is not um, been put where he's going to be for eternity, right? Um, this is an important topic. And we're going to talk about it some. If it's written after AD 96, then obviously most of it had to have happened after the book of Revelation or after that time period because the Jerusalem account would have already happened. Um, the role of Israel, uh, how people view Israel in relationship to the church oftentimes defines what they believe about Revelation. How distinct should we view the Old Testament people of God from the church? 
Is Israel separate from the church? Or as we typically teach here in Sovereign Hope, have they been grafted together as one people of God? People that believe they remain separate usually have a far different approach to the revelation than what we're going to take. And I'm going to talk to you about the differences here in just a second. All right, so the date's really important. The role of Israel is really important. Um, And before we, I'm going to give you two things, and then we're going to wrap up today. I'm going to give you schools of interpretation, meaning this is how different people approach revelation and how we understand it. I'm going to give you the four main views. Then I'm going to give you the three main views about Revelation 20, which is the millennial reign. I'll give you three main views. And then I'm going to tell you which one we're going to approach Revelation through. Okay? Um, it's the commentaries that I've bought. Um, it's the approach that I believe is the one that makes the most sense in light of clear passages of Scripture. Okay? Um, but what I wanted to say was, Good Christians believe all four of these interpretations and all three of these millennial views. You're going to have great people in all these camps. Um, That's what makes it so difficult for me in even selecting my commentaries. Some of the commentaries that I've relied upon the most in some of our previous studies, I've had to disregard because it would would clutter too much the message that I think God wants us to to learn from. Um, Their their views are, are far different than what I think Revelation is going to present to us. Um, so that's what complicates it for me because people that I've relied upon for everything else, I have to kind of not rely upon them for the book of revelation, but there's great people that we can rely upon that we're going to echo the things that I say. Um, so I'm confident that, um, while we have to say, I can't stand with John Piper or John MacArthur on their views on revelation, I can definitely stand with David Platt on his views of revelation. So great people in both camps. Um, and we may have people within our church that fall into different camps, and that's okay, too. You'll just have to study it more outside of how I'm going to present it um, if you view it differently. All right, schools of interpretation, number one. Um, and these are words that you read more than you pronounce. Um, uh, historicism, is that correct? Everybody okay with that pronunciation? Historicism? All right, you can, we can approach Revelation from a historical standpoint, and that viewpoint says that Revelation is a chronological order of events that span the entire era from the apostolic church to the return of Christ. Meaning, from the church that starts in the book of Acts until Jesus comes back, there's a bunch of things that take place, and the book of Revelation tells us in chronological order those events. Okay, so this view would say some of Revelation may have started right after the book of Acts, and it's been unfolding, and it will continue to unfold all the way to the book of Revelation. Okay, that's the, that's the historical view of the book of Revelation, historicism. It's a chronological order of all the events that happen between the church being started and Jesus coming back. Number two, futurism. Futurism says Revelation is a chronological order of events that all remain primarily in the future. This is your left behind, this is your rapture, this is your premillennial. This is what most of us probably grew up in in the Baptist churches that a lot of us came from, all right? Futurism. That Revelation is, is, is a chronological order of events, so they both agree about that. Hist- uh, historicism says that started really soon after the book of Revelation was written. They started to happen. Futurism says, now it's been, it's been a long time since Revelation was written, about 2,000 years, and most of these things haven't happened if any of them have happened. And they'll start to unfold when the rapture happens and the tribulation starts. So they kind of see this as, and we're still waiting for most of the book of Revelation to happen. Probably all of it we're still waiting upon, all right? Preterism says that Revelation is an ordering of events, possibly chronologically, but they may be out of order, with most of Revelation having already occurred in the past, Okay, so preterism says a lot of what we read about, it's about Jerusalem falling and it's about the Roman Empire and most of this has already happened. And we read it and we study it and it may or may not really be in order. Basically, the general big picture idea, though, is that it's already happened. Okay? I think R.C. Sproul may fit into this. Ms. Carolyn, do you know for sure? I mean, when I read him, I feel like he kind of falls 
more into this camp. What would be a great effort, and it'd be fine if it came from our church, I would love for somebody to put together a giant wall-sized chart of everybody that I think is awesome, like David Platt, John Piper, John MacArthur. Like, so they, they need to come talk to me so I can tell them who to ask. It would be phenomenal to have this chart of all these people and then have a bunch of doctrines next to it and then what they believe about them. So like, what do you believe about the end times? Are you premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial? And just have that so you can just quick reference it because in the case of R.C. Sproul, I think he falls into this category, but um, at times it's really hard to, to discern where some of the guys that we follow um, fall. Number four, idealism. And I wanted to, I know it's small, I wanted to keep it all on the same slide so you could kind of reference back to the ones we just talked about because a lot of this is new to, to most of you. Idealism is an approach that sees revelation as a symbolic presentation of events that will occur from the apostolic church to the return of Christ, but recapitalization is present. And what does that word mean? It means that the events are not necessarily laid out in order and they repeat themselves throughout history. Okay, so this approach says what we see in Revelation may have happened, may be happening, and may continue to happen until Jesus comes back. It also views portions of Revelation as being the same event, just from a different perspective. For example, Revelation 19 and 20, futurism would say Revelation 19 is about events, and then Revelation 20 is about different events. Idealism would say, Revelation 19 and 20 are about the exact same thing, just from a different perspective, from a different angle, from a different understanding, okay? Historicism, I think it's John Piper, um, chronological order of events that happen um, from the church to the return of Jesus. Futurism, chronological order, but they all happen in the future. That's John MacArthur. Preterism, ordering of events possibly chronologically with most of Revelation having already occurred, probably R.C. Sproul. Idealism, David Platt, um, symbolic presentation, recapitalization, kind of cycles. Revelation cycles at times throughout human history, and the events in Revelation, the chapters in Revelation, may be about the exact same thing and not a chronological order. Okay, so those are the four different schools of interpretation. The views of the millennium, Revelation 20 is so far in the future, but it's relevant to our introduction because you're going you're gonna to be asked as we're studying Revelation, what are you? And I want you to be informed to know how to have that discussion if somebody asks you, okay? Premillennialism, which approaches Revelation from that futuristic standpoint, believes that Jesus comes back to reign on the earth for 1,000 years in the future with sin still present, okay? So for 1,000 years, Jesus is going to come back People get new bodies, but sin is still around. Jesus is on a throne, but there's people that reject Jesus here when he's here. After that thousand years, he'll earn a great victory over Satan. And this view is is built heavily on needing to keep church and Israel separate. Like it kind of flows from this mindset that church and Israel are different. And so we, we come and approach Revelation from that standpoint. And so we see a thousand-year reign so that fulfillment for Israel's promises can happen prior to the church's eternity, okay? That's premillennialism. Everything's in the future, and Jesus is going to come back and rule in Jerusalem for a thousand years, and the earth's going to be following him, but there's going to be a group that doesn't, and then after a thousand years, Satan's going to gather those people that don't follow Jesus, big, great battle, Jesus wins, and then we go into eternity, all right, number two, post-millennialism. This is um, a lot of times the preterist view or the historical view. doesn't have to be, but um, if you're post-millennialist, you're going you're gonna to definitely approach it this way. Um, Jesus will come back after a thousand-year reign in the future in which the earth has essentially become Christianized. So the big distinct difference between these two is there are a lot of great people, uh, Doug Wilson's one of them, who believes that Jesus and the gospel will win in the hearts of people before Jesus comes back, meaning that most of the earth will become Christian, and then Jesus will say, now's a good time to come back, Um, that basically the gospel wins, which is 
a great view. Because like, who wants to say that it doesn't win, right? Like, who wants to say that, that, that the gospel isn't successful? And to not be a post-millennialist doesn't mean that the gospel isn't successful. We've already said every tribe, nation, and tongue is represented. And Jesus seems to be more concerned about every tribe, nation, and tongue versus everybody, right? There seems to be more of a concern about everybody being represented versus every single person. Postmillennialism believes that the thousand-year reign of, Re- of Revelation 20, when Satan is bound, is that basically you share the gospel and people are praying and repenting right there, and everybody loves Jesus, even though he's not even here. Everybody loves Jesus. Everybody goes to church. It's just awesome. And then Jesus comes back and says, what a great party. Let me come down here and be a part of this, and let's just keep doing this forever. Um, it's kind of the picture of it. Um, it's a great picture. I don't think it's accurate with the book of Revelation. Um, number three is amillennialism, which is the idealist approach, amillennialism, um, which means no millennium, which is inaccurate. It's not, a, it's not a good term to use because amillennialists do believe in a millennium. They believe that it's happening right now in heaven, that Jesus is ruling and reigning with those that, that die in heaven. Basically, amillennialists believe that the millennial reign is occurring now, with Jesus returning at the conclusion of an unspecified amount of time. Um, the only people that really believe that the thousand years is actually 1,000 years is number one. Number two, the postmillennialists believe it just represents a long period of time. Number three, they just believe it represents a long period of time. In fact, we're into uh, year 3,000 of those years, right? We've already had 2,000 years since Jesus left. We're now working on 3,000 years and Jesus still hasn't come back. So they would say the millennial reign has been going on since Jesus left, and at some point Jesus will come back. We're going to approach the book of Revelation because we, we really have to. We have to pick up an approach. Otherwise, we'll never get out of this book if I, to try to, if I basically try to preach three different sermons every week, right? Like, I just, I just can't. Um, so we're going to approach it from the amillennialist, idealist perspective. Um, and I think... I think it's safe to do this because I think I can build in some protective measures in case I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, David Platt's wrong, and so that's, that's fine with me. Um, but some ways that I think we protect ourselves and why this view, I think, is a healthy view in case we're wrong is that, one, we're going to approach Revelation as being a divine prediction of future events, but we're also going to see it as a divine diagnosis of past and present states of affairs, or state of affairs, whichever one needs to be plural. So we're going to see Revelation as predictive of the future, but we're also going to see what it means for the past and for the, the present Christian, which leads into the second one. What I do want to do as we approach each text in Revelation is I want us to ask the question, how does this text apply to the first century Christian when this book was written? How does it apply to the present-day Christian, and how does it apply to the last Christian, like the, the, the one who lives until Jesus comes back? So approaching it this way, we're not going to completely toss out the fact that um, some of this may have already happened. Some of this may be well into the future. We're going to try to blend as much as we can without dismissing the other perspectives, but I want you to know overall we are going to approach it more from an amillennial idealist perspective. Again, that means Jesus can come back at any time and eternity starts. So that's the, that's, the, that's the really awesome thing about this view is that we don't have to wait a thousand years for Jesus to rule and reign with sinners running around. This view says that when Jesus comes back, sinners go away. And the ones that are Christian sinners, we get transformed and there's no more sin. And that can happen today. It can happen tomorrow. We don't have to wait on a bunch of things to happen. Um, the, the idealist perspective says, what we're going to see in Revelation, a lot of this stuff has happened in some form or fashion already, will continue to happen into the future as well. I wrote down in my notes, um, where we are going is where we've always been to some degree. Basically, that what's been happening will continue to happen. The church is going to be um, assaulted by Satan um, what will be different is that one day Jesus will put an end to it completely. All right? All right, application. And because it's kind of an introduction, the application is a little bit different. Um, I stressed this earlier in our service. One, stay up to date with where we're at. I mean, just think about it. The people that miss today, like they're, they're behind, right? Like they're behind. They don't even know how we're approaching Revelation. Um, yeah, they have been left behind right now. 
and they need to catch up. Um, there's going to be some weeks that are more important than other weeks as far as the overall feel of Revelation. As we're into the churches and stuff, uh, it, it may not be as important for you to, to have to stay up to date completely. If you miss one of those, it may not wreck your, your rest of your study of Revelation. For people that weren't here today, they got, they got to get this one because this really kind of reveals where we're going and why we're going that direction. Um, be prepared to work outside of Sundays. Um, I, I'm going to try to give you supplemental stuff to do, to read outside of this because I don't want this to become like a seminary class. Today was more seminary class feel. I don't want this to be every Sunday. Like I want to I wanna, um, expositorily bring the word to you and I want Jesus to be made much of and I don't want a bunch of charts and a bunch of lists and a bunch of theories. That stuff I think is more appropriate outside of a Sunday morning. And so that's stuff that I want to make available to you um, to read and to study and to do as your time allows. Um, and then number three, and part of this is, is my task, um, but expect that we're going to keep our eyes on Jesus as we work through the book of Revelation. Um, my previous experiences have been charts and handouts and lots of confusion and lots of theories and lots of speculation and I want to steer clear from that as much as possible and keep our eyes on Jesus because I think that is the focus of the book. He's the triumphant lamb. He's the one that wins. Um, and we're supposed to come out of this encouraged, confident, so that we can encourage others. I've never come out of a study of Revelation where I felt like I could encourage other people with the material that was covered. Um, I always felt more confused maybe than when we started the process. My hope is that it's different in how we approach it. Yeah, so our family worship questions. Um, Number one, what are some things our family believes about the end times? And then number two, what passages of Scripture do we base those beliefs upon? So within your family worship time this week, I want to encourage you to to have some conversation with your family about some beliefs that your family has about the end times. And that's where there is flexibility. You may not agree with the approach that we're going to take on Revelation, but I believe that it will still be a profitable study even if you fall in the futuristic um, viewpoint on Revelation. Even if you believe Israel and the church are distinctly separate, I think our study will be healthy and profitable even if you fall into a different camp based on how we're going to approach it. Okay? Um, but what are some things our family believes about the end times? Number two, what passage of scripture do we base those beliefs upon? I think that'll give us some good content for our families, especially those with kids, to dialogue a little bit about as we jump into the book of Revelation. Any questions before I close this in prayer? Again, kind of a different a different um, approach today, more classroom feel than, than sermon feel. Um, but I told you a couple of weeks ago, I felt like some of you have been with me in studies of eschatology before, and you have more of a framework than others, and I felt like we needed to kind of level the playing field and, and give terms and approaches that everybody would know moving forward together. All right, and, and we'll probably also step out of Revelation either... Through our study, or when we conclude Revelation, we may go to some other passages in the New Testament that are very um, end-time driven and how they fit into what we're studying in Revelation. So the um, Olivet Discourse that Jesus um, gives um, is is tied heavily to some of the things in Revelation, so we'll step out of Revelation at times and and do that when appropriate. All right, Um, let's pray together. Lord, we we come to you and and, and we're excited as we approach a book that uh, many of us have um, never really been able to fully comprehend the way that it seems like we should be able to. Um, God, I'm I'm challenged by the fact that we're called to be obedient to this book. Um, We're called to listen, to hear, to understand, and to use it to encourage others. And so, God, my desire is that all of us feel um, equipped at the end of this to where we can dialogue with people at work, in our neighborhood, in our families, and, and offer and extend encouragement and hope that's founded upon what we've learned in Revelation. Um, God, I pray that our eyes would stay completely focused on Jesus as we journey through this book, um, that ultimately we would see this great theme that Jesus wins, that from the beginning of time, this has been your goal. And the events of Genesis all point to what culminates here in the book of Revelation. We're thankful for the Messiah that has come. We're thankful for a Messiah that, 
that saves people from all nations. Um, Father, we're thankful that we look forward to a day when the Messiah comes and rules and reigns on a throne and becomes the ideal ruler that we all envision. Uh, When we vote for presidents and when we think of great leaders, um, we're thankful for one that is coming that will meet all of those expectations. God, I pray that we would be encouraged, that our kids, that our teenagers would be encouraged as we walk through this, that it would cause many of them, all of them, to hold fast to the faith based on what they learned through this study. Pray that they would find the encouragement to persevere, even when things are tough, even when it, thinks, when it looks like we're losing. They would keep their hearts set on the finish line that Jesus will be victorious and the church will remain for all eternity. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.